Welcome to Open Door Talks, a podcast series for independent musicians on how to navigate the music industry. I'm your host, Lex Luca, a music producer and DJ from London. I'll be talking to your favorite music makers about their journeys to success. Expect to hear a whole host of tips and tricks from seasoned professionals to help you move forward with your music. Follow Open Door Talks on your favorite podcast platform and head to opendoortalks.com for more information and resources. Mike check, Mike check. Yes, it's your boy Lex Luca. Firstly, thank you so much for all of the love that you showed us on last week's episode with Felix from Basement Jacks. And if you haven't already, please click that follow button on your favorite podcast platform as that really does help us. So this week on the show, we are joined by a super talented London-based artist, Camden Cox. Camden is without doubt one of the most exciting names on the scene right now. She's been rising through the ranks over the last few years as a singer and a songwriter and also as a DJ. Her journey hasn't been a straightforward one and there's loads of wisdom in here for you as we discuss her setbacks and the lessons learned to the importance of songwriting and maintaining a consistency of sound. Camden also shares her songwriting and vocal techniques along with her top three tips for independent musicians. So whether you're a singer, a songwriter, a music producer, or you just love the creative process, I think you'll get a lot out of this one. Let's get into it. Camden, thank you for joining us. How are you today? Hello, I'm great. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. I'm grateful that you're here today. We've had a couple of tries at making this one happen, but today is the day. We have just been busy but we've made it eventually yeah we've made it so I want to start off by asking you what's some of the most exciting things that are happening to you right now in your music career well I'm releasing quite a lot of music at the moment so to see it all kind of I don't know flying around on different playlists and like getting played on the radio um, and getting a lot of support from all the radio stations in the UK, like the, the main ones, is is just like kind of pinch me territory because I don't feel like it's ever been this positive. So, yeah, I'm, it's exciting. You certainly seem to be on a roll. What were you like as a youngster? What were your experiences and influences growing up? Well, I grew up around dance music because my mum was a drum and bass club promoter. So there was always dance music being blasted around the house, a lot of drum and bass, obviously. So I just used to like, I don't know, I just used to dance to it at home and get really excited by it. And then when I moved to London at 18, I like got straight out of my hometown, straight to London, because I knew that was where I needed to be. And I actually came up through drum and bass. So I, I was looking for drum and bass instrumentals and dubstep as well because that was going through a bit of a, a moment at that time and um yeah I just I, I started top lining some drum and bass music that's how I started songwriting. Who were the other artists that you looked up to at that time and what was it about them that inspired you? I loved like Chase and Status and Pendulum I loved like heavy heavy music heavy beats and bass lines with like dreamy vocals I used to be obsessed with Dead Mouse when I was really little and and like Robin. So kind of combining the, the two, I sort of found my sound somewhere in between. Can you share a pivotal moment or experience that you had 
as a kid that shaped your perspective on music and inspired your artistic growth during those earlier years? Yeah, there was a festival that I went to. I was really, really young. I can't even remember what festival it was, but it was somewhere in Birmingham because I grew up in in the Midlands. And I watched NERD, which was Pharrell, and Pendulum. And there was someone else huge as well. But just that that festival for me, I was just like watching the crowd because it was my first festival I'd ever been to. Um, and just seeing the rave culture and like the sun setting I just remember it really well my mum was with me and she was dancing away to the drum and bass because obviously she was a bit of a raver and I just was like this is where what I want to do it's just I just found it so exciting just watching everyone and as I say as the sun set and these incredible drops are just something yeah something really blew me away about it something about the energy and the euphoria and the togetherness of a festival isn't there it just it can really bring out the best in people yeah exactly it's just like very it was like togetherness everyone's just so happy in those moments and so then you you ended up moving to london and you have a well documented story that you had a choice encounter with labyrinth <laughs> yeah i did can you tell us what he told you well i moved to london and i I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was just doing a load of, a bunch of auditions, trying to find cool beats to top line, but also doing, yeah, doing random auditions like singing on, I don't know, just anything singing, basically. I was like, I'm young, I'm 18. I need to, I need to sing for a living. That's just all I want to do. And uh, I actually signed a contract to sing on a ship as like main female vocalist on a, on a ship and uh it was like a year contract and I was my date was set to go I'd signed the contract and I was randomly singing karaoke in a bar in North London and there was literally like three people in there one of them being my mate and uh the other two people were just sat at the back and I was singing thinking it was like nothing and then one of the people at the back happened to be Labyrinth and he came over. I didn't even know who he was. He came over and just said, you've got an incredible voice, like really nice tone and and whatever. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, wicked, thanks. And I was like, add me on, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I will. And then he didn't. And then I bumped into him again because he lived near me and this was a local bar. I bumped into him again a few weeks later and uh, that's when I then realized who he was I think because I was sober completely sober and I was like wait it's it's him and then we just became really good friends and he he like mentored me unofficially for a few years and he just he just basically said don't go on this cruise ship like it's gonna be the death of your career (laughs) in terms of if I wanted to write music and be an artist which I did um, and he said, you'll just be a singer if you do that. So if you want to be an artist, stay in London. You're in the right place. And so I took his advice. I cancelled the ship and I didn't go. Pretty good advice, right? Yeah, the best advice I've ever had. I definitely took the the long route, the riskier route, the, the skint route, but it was so worth it. Yeah, and it sounds like you had your goals in mind. You knew where you wanted to be, but you certainly put in the hours. You have to try all of these different things to really discover the path that's going to be right for you. I just didn't think I was 
I didn't think I was a writer. I didn't feel like I was very good at it, which I wasn't at the time. So so new to songwriting. I've always just used my voice to sing other people's songs or whatever. And then he said, writing takes time. Like you've got to, you know, practice makes perfect. Just start doing it. No matter how bad the songs are, just keep going. And uh, so I did. And I just started to believe in myself eventually and realized that the songs I was writing were pretty cool. And I just found my my niche in, in dance music. So how did you go from there to getting signed and releasing records? Well, it was just, it definitely wasn't simple. I don't think it ever is. Like I, it took me, it took me a, a long time to get my first record deal, which I then, I signed and was dropped three months later because the record label went bust. So I didn't even have chance to release a song. Um, it was so exciting. I signed, it was like, these are the singles, we're going to go. And then everything went quiet immediately. And then all of a sudden I hear that the company are not going to be continuing. So that was a really difficult moment. Um, but then very, very quickly afterwards, um, Epic Records, the, the first label was Global, um, Global Records. And then the second label that wanted to then pick me up afterwards was Epic in the UK, which is obviously part of Sony. And uh, got the offer. We were going going through the the contracts and like, I think I was on the long form. So we were like weeks away from signing and then they went bust in the UK, Epic in the UK folded and was no longer a thing. And I, this is the point where I was like, do you know what? I'm gonna have to just give up trying to be an artist. It's not meant to be. I've had two record deals on the table. One of them signed, one of them didn't even get a chance to sign it and they've both been taken away from me. So I just thought, I'm going to songwrite, that I'm good at songwriting, I don't need to be an artist, whatever. I lost my, I think I just lost my belief in it for a little bit. So I started songwriting and taking that really seriously and I'm focusing on that. I'm getting some really good cuts, getting in some good rooms and and then through that and featuring on some some tunes of other people's, I then started to think, I had to believe in myself again as an artist and I decided to start taking the artist stuff seriously again and then it took me a while to get the confidence to release solo music but then I, I did start doing it and like independently and then from from releasing independently and then also featuring on other people's songs I then eventually got picked up by RCA sony again so i feel like i was always meant to be signed to sony but it just took me a bit to get there <laughs> i've seen you rise to where you are now as a songwriter you didn't necessarily know you were on certain records and then you've kind of evolved into now essentially a fully blown artist in your own right which is incredible and you're still songwriting so it seems like although those are setbacks which you probably feel shit at the time they kind of needed to have happened probably for a bit of character building and to end up in the perfect place where you are now, if that makes sense. That's the thing. It's like there are so many setbacks in this industry. It's just, I just don't think it would be this industry without the setbacks and the moments of what the hell am I doing? But if, as long as you don't want to do anything else and you don't give up and think hard, oh, you know what, I'll just, I'll just go into hairdressing or something. Like I've always been loved hair and I've loved hairdressing. I cut all my friends' hair and stuff when I was growing up, but I was like, I just don't want to do it as a living um I just didn't I didn't love it enough where a lot of people I think 
give up after a few hurdles and they go, well, I've got a plan B, so let's let's go with the plan B. But I didn't have a plan B. I didn't want a plan B. So I think that helped me stay determined to stick at music, whether that was songwriting or being an artist or both. How did you pick yourself up from those setbacks? Because being signed once and then the record label folding is one thing and then for it to happen again is like a real kick in the teeth you know so yeah was there anything you did to pick yourself up I got angry at it I was just like right that's it if you're just if you're not going to be good to me then I'm not going to put any more time into you and I like had a little bitter moment stopped trying to be an artist and and put all my eggs into writing and writing only and like people wanted me to feature on their songs and for a little bit I just rebelled against it. It was like, no, I'm not meant to be an artist. I'm not going to sing on your song. But that didn't last for for very long. It really didn't. I think I just got a little bit emotional about it at first, but because I loved it so much deep down, it was like, it was always going to push push through. So yeah, start, once the bitterness kind of calmed down a little bit, I started going no I am a singer I'm gonna I'm gonna feature on this song and then through that the confidence came back. You've been involved in some really big songwriting cuts the one that comes to mind is that track the John Summit track with Hayla with Eddie Jenkins on writing credits as well can you tell me how that came about and what was your experience of it? That actually came about because Hayla, myself, Eddie Jenkins and um, Will Clark who's a credible DJ um, we wrote a song called Escape and it ended up getting cut by Dead Mouse and Cascade, which was a real dream come true for me because um, they were like some of my biggest idols. Um, and yeah, John Summit remixed it and he loved the song so much and he really wanted a song similar and he loved Hayla's voice. So... We got back in the studio, Haley, myself, Eddie, and then we got another writer in called Andy Sheldrake, who's a good friend. And we tried to kind of recreate the same vibe. Um, we got like a basic idea down, sent it to John Summit and said, what do you think? Do you want to work on this? Is this the kind of direction you want to go? So then he took the song and then he did his thing to it and produced it up with... Um, another guy called Freak, who is a, another collaborator of mine. I work with quite a lot. He mixes all my own solo singles. So it's like a really good, solid team around that song. Um, we kind of did the initial ideas and then we sent it sent it over to, to John and he, he did his thing on it and, and then it came out and it's just been a massive success in the US. Um, John's obviously killing it at the moment so the timing of it was perfect it yeah all came off the back of the dead mouse thing so it's really cool I was so happy to have been part of that record it's certainly one to be proud of I met Andy a few years ago I know he was involved in the example project uh, and he has been for a few years so he's another great an amazing producer and also a great songwriter as well that's uh, an important point to make I ended up meeting Andy Sheldrake on a writing camp and I got in a room with him an example and we wrote a song called Click which came out this example's solo tune called Click but because Andy and I worked so well together we continued working together ever since and that's how we've ended up 
writing the John Summit tune as well. It's just continuing to work with people that you've met through complete random situations. So, yeah. <laughs> Are there any other songwriting experiences you've had that you're really proud of? Yeah, for sure. I Nervo is an Australian duo, this female duo, and I really love them. I think they're so cool and their music's amazing. And um, I wrote a song with Carla Monroe and uh, John Kong from Left Wing Cody. He's one of my like really good friends and collaborators. And um, we got this song over to Nervo and it just it just did really, really well. Like streaming wise, it was like the cover of Mint, which is the biggest dance playlist. It, like, straight away it got the support because it was, I think because Spotify really good at championing women in dance because we don't always get the credit we deserve. It was Nervo featuring Carla Monroe, three powerful women in dance, and obviously co-written by me, who's another women in, woman in dance. It just got really good support, and it, it really gave it a chance to kind of smash it. So yeah, that that did did so well. That was that was the first biggest cut that I had, and then off the back of that, then came like the Dead Mouse thing, the John Summit thing, and. And the other things that I've got going on right now, I'd say that was my first, um, my first big one. I mean, these are some of the biggest names in the music industry, from Cascade to Dead Mouse to Nervo. You know, they're obviously on a musically they're in a certain space, but they are, you know, just worldwide international names. How does it feel to work with these people? What's what's the experience for you? It's it's mad because I do get moments of imposter syndrome when I'm in rooms with powerful people. And I'm like, wait, how how am I here? Like, this is weird. Like, how do I songwrite again? I can't even remember. Um, and then I just find my voice in that moment and realize, again, I'm in that room for a reason. So just learning to speak up and, and shout above the noise because sometimes it will be a lot of chefs in one room and uh, you've got to realize that your opinion does count as well. So you... Just speak up and go, no, I'm as good as this person, even though they're like really well known. Um, and yeah, it's it's so it's scary and nerve wracking, but um, it's just belief in yourself and your abilities and just, um, yeah, knowing that they're working with you because they respect you. So it's, uh, yeah, challenging, but so exciting and rewarding. Can you tell me about the record that you made with Eli and Fur? Because I'm a massive fan of those two. Yeah, um, I was out in LA and um, this guy that I met on a camp, again, called Kuske, he is an incredible writer and we just hit it off in the studio. Turns out I was already a fan of Eli and Fur, but I'd never worked with them. And um, he hit me up when I was in LA and he was like, are you here? And I said, yeah, I am. And he was like, well, I've got a couple of days in with Eli and Fur, do you want to, do you want to join? And I was like, absolutely. I think I even cancelled another session so I could join because I was like, really wanted to do it. And I love, love writing with Kuske and obviously really, really like Eli and Fur. And again, it's so nice to work with other, other girls in the industry. So yeah, got in, we wrote two songs that day and one of them was Burning, which ended up being our our collaboration that came out a couple of years ago. Um, we just worked so well together, the four of us. We had a really, really fun day. 
and just musically we all really really clicked the other song might still come out at some point as well because that was also really cool we'll see <laughs> that was one of those really easy sessions that was just like a breeze what do you think has contributed the most to your growth as an artist i think when i started djing because I've always been in dance music, I'm embedded in the dance world as a, as a writer first and then as an artist. All my cuts, like 95% of my songwriting credits are house tunes or drum and bass. So it's all very much in that world. And then obviously my solo music is also in that world. So, and I, I've spent years of my career begging people to play my songs in sets sending my extended mixes to all these DJs and just being like if you drop it please get me a video um and and then I just thought one day why am I begging everyone else to play my music I can just do it myself because I've always kind of known the very very basics of DJing but not enough to go and do it I was never good enough at it. I just kind of knew the the very, very, very basics. And I just thought I need to really immerse myself into into DJing. And once I started doing that and realising I could sing whilst DJing, I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. And, um, yeah, I think because I already had a little bit of a name for myself in, in the club world and the club scene, I got gigs I got gigs pretty much straight away, which was really lucky because I know that when you when people start DJing, especially from a really young age, they'll take years to get gigs. But it took me years to get cuts as a songwriter and as an artist that I'd already kind of done the groundwork. So the DJing happened quicker for me. The artistry really came into place then because I started getting taken more seriously in the dance scene I think it's hard to be taken as seriously when you're a singer you kind of have to be a disc jockey at the same time and know your craft really and just prove that you really are embedded into that scene and yeah I think I, I really enjoy just look finding good music and mixing it into my own music and and just having fun with it if I really found found my um place now I think so obviously as an artist, you know, it's important to, to be looking at yourself and continually improving yourself. What's one specific aspect of music that you've been working on and refining and what are the deliberate steps that you've done to get better? One big step I took to get better was during lockdown, I realised obviously I can't depend or rely on anybody else to record my music for me and my top lines. And I just thought oh, now it's now or never I need to start producing vocals and learning so I I really took lockdown in my stride I started producing and recording my own vocals and getting good at vocal production that I even then started vocal producing for a few other people as well and um, I think that really added an important tool to my toolkit because now I know exactly how I want something to sound and I don't have to ask anybody to do it for me. I can just do it myself. And it's that was really rewarding. Um, and I think it's added more consistency to everything that I'm doing. Have there been moments where you felt a pressure to compromise your artistic integrity? Yeah, I think because I, I 
do a lot of studio sessions. They work with a lot of different people. They don't always go amazingly. They can be tricky because of like completely different characters who don't know each other at all. And you can get you get in a room and all of a sudden pressure's on to make make a tune. And you might just clash. And it really happens. Like it really happens a lot. And because obviously it's not always going to be fun and games or really easy breezy some of them really are they you'll be in and out there in three to four hours and you've written an absolute stonker but then other times it's just like you'll slave at it all day and you you still won't come up with something that you think is good enough but yeah I feel like a lot of that comes with just experience and knowing how to navigate certain situations and I feel like I've really struggled internally sometimes and had imposter syndrome or just feel like I'm not being heard in the studio or I'm just really not vibing with the other person's ideas. I guess I just take myself out for a minute, go to the toilet, like try and extend my time out of the out of the room for a minute, go get a cup of tea. And I almost have to reset myself and then go back in and just be like, I need to come out with something today. I'm I'm one of those people that determined to come out with something even if it's not amazing I need something to show for the day whereas a lot of people I know a lot of my friends will just go if it's not working it's not working and they'll they'll leave after two hours and just be like creatively we're just not we're not gelling which I totally understand and sometimes I've wished that I could just do that and have the balls to say no sorry guys I don't think it's I don't think we're going to get anywhere but I yeah I guess it's just the determination in me which I've always had since I was a kid um you just kind of push through it and then and then you'll sometimes leave and be like I never want to hear that song again and then you'll hear it weeks later when you get sent the bounce and you'll be like wait there's something in this and that that can happen which is always really surprising but you just never know and that's why it's worth sticking at it for the whole day and just trying to come up with something because yeah, it might just it might just turn out to be incredible. Yeah, I think it is important to stick with it because like you say, you didn't you don't always know how it's gonna be. It might be a couple of hours of hitting your head against the wall and then something comes. Yeah. Something I find as well. It's difficult to get a perspective. Like if I've been listening to the same beat for, for three hours. Yeah. I don't even know if it's good anymore. And I need to take a take a step back and you like and I hate it after three hours, leave it for three days. I'm like, actually that's pretty decent. Yeah, exactly. That happens a lot when it's on loop you just start going crazy and you're like, what am I even doing? <laughs> like, but yeah, yeah. It's just part of the process. Yeah. So have you ever experimented with say unconventional techniques or something unique that might unlock new levels of your artistic expression? Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm like stuck between a rock and a hard place and I'm just not, not getting anywhere. Sometimes if you just like, jam into the jam into the mic hit record you don't know what's going to come out and then you can like reverse it for example and um and then you might just hear a whole new melody when you're listening back to it in reverse or um sometimes I'll change the key and transpose it and then the key will unlock a note or whatever or some another thing I'll sometimes do is I won't even sing in tune. I'll just, I'll turn on the mic and I'll just be like, ah, ah, and just like 
let my voice kind of go into a million different places that are not correct at all, then put the auto tune on maximum and it will find, it will like take those weird ass notes that you've just sang into the correct key. And then you'll be like, wait, that's a cool note that your brain wouldn't have gone to had you not done that. So yeah, there's so many little ways or like just singing into um singing in and then putting it into a sampler and just playing playing it on the keys that can really help as well it's just mad like there's so many techniques you can do if you get stuck it's amazing to be able to use technology to really develop that creativity isn't it yeah yeah honestly don't know what to do that can you think of uh like a risk that you took in the studio that that came out really well that was really gratifying there's a technique i used on my most recent release actually uh i've just had a song out called lady love with odin and fatso and um I'm defected really like that record thank you yeah i love it as well and but it really wasn't an easy write like we all got in the studio together we had this whole other song going called casanova and it was the same instrumental but i wrote a whole top line slash song called casanova with my friend and writing partner Stevie Appleton. And the boys were in there as well, the Odin Fatso lads. And we just had this Casanova thing going on for a, a few hours. And we were like, is anyone excited by this? And everyone was like, it's cool, but am I blown away? No. And I was like, there's no way I'm letting these guys go back to France with like no song with me because I loved them. And I, I loved they just had Lauren out as a hit. And I was like, I need to create another Lauren because I just think it's great. And it was also one of my dad's favorite songs as well at the time. And he actually sent it to me saying, have you heard this? It's my favorite song at the moment. And I was like, I have heard it. And I was like, because we've got a lot of the same taste, me and my dad. Um, so I was like, I cannot let this not work. So then I was like, right, which I never do this, but I was like, let's scrap this and start again. And everyone was like, do we want a new beat? Do we need a new instrumental? And I was like, no, because I really like this. I really like where the beat's going. So then we slowed it down by like 40 BPM and just sang like soulful melodies really slowly. And just, um, this was literally like it was coming into the evening. And I just... I just was like, we have to, we have to try something different. So yeah, we slowed it right down almost like, so it's quite jazzy and you could really hear all the little intricate details of the instrumental, like, and the cool guitar riffs. And I just, it just unlocked a whole new side of, of my style that day. Um, and I literally was just jamming on the mic and that's where all the melodies came from. And then everyone in the room was like jumping up and down silently, just being like, yeah, yes and I was like oh shit I think I'm actually nailing it now and then um we sped it up back to 128 bpm 130 bpm whatever it is I think it's around that um sped it back up and it just sounded unreal and we were like that's it then done and because we it was quite late at this point me and Stevie then took away the gibberish that I'd sang and we wrote the lyrics at a later date and sent the lyrics and the vocals to Odin Fatso because they were back in France at that point. It was literally weeks later because we had to find time to get back into the studio to write the lyrics and yeah and then me and Stevie 
we did and and the Odin Fatso boys loved it so yeah it's a, an amazing track and it's obviously a killer collaboration I love that story because one of the things I noticed when I listened to all of your tracks number one they're so diverse but such a huge array of different artists and there I am thinking wow you're just it's just amazing that you're you're able to churn out all these amazing tracks with such a different range of artists and producers and so it's really interesting to hear that actually it's not always the first take it's not always the first record that pops yeah it's mad because I had gold out a couple of months ago and that was written in probably an hour it's just again me jamming on the microphone and it happened immediately and we didn't realize how good it was until we listened back to it a couple of days later we just were like right move on next quick demo move on next we we were like just churning out the tunes that day just trying to get loads and loads of bits down and we'll just see what sticks and then and then Odin and Fatso happened around the same time I think we wrote it around the same time as I wrote Gold and again we just slaved away at that one and then it eventually fell into place you just never know and then they've ended up coming out around the same time as well and they've got completely different stories and completely different processes it's never the same so how do you choose your collaborators and what have been some of the most inspiring moments while working with other artists a lot of my collaborators have been chosen through discovering each other at writing camps so like writing writing camps are really cool because you just it's like a bunch of people get put together and then you get divided into different rooms and just hope for the best and the people organizing it is obviously such a challenge because you're like they they're thinking who's going to work well with who do we take a risk and put those two people together and do we throw that person in just to like mix it up? So it's like, I know that writing camps are hard to organize. I've actually organized some myself as well. It's really, really difficult. And sometimes it just does not work. Like you'll put a room of people together and it's like chaos or it just doesn't work. And then, but a lot of the people that I work with now were I met at writing camps because it's people you might not necessarily usually be put in a room with or you won't have discovered yourself through your own contacts um so there's yeah that my the people that I work that I go back to a lot are actually people I've met on on camps and I'm so grateful for camps because I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am now in my career if it wasn't for being involved in so many camps and the people that believe in me enough to put me on a camp and then you'll just some some magic will happen and you'll be like, wow, this is like the producer for me because we've just completely like, it's like a match made in heaven. Um, and then and then you continue to like reach out to each other and say, let's get back in. And yeah, some of my my top people uh, that I still work with now from years ago that I met on camps. What advice would you give to other artists to get the best out of their collaboration sessions, say either on a camp or just in their standard session? Just really listening to what each other wants because stylistically you're probably going to be quite different if you're on a camp and you get put in a room with someone. So you really have to respect the differences between every everyone's unique. I mean, I'm talking from a camp perspective right now, but it doesn't have to be a camp. If you're just in with somebody, you get put in a room with someone you've never met, you've never worked with them, you might not even know what they've done before. You've not even had time to check out 
or to like research and check out their catalogue or they might be brand new and someone's taken a chance and put them in a room with you they've been put in that room with you for a reason so you just have to really like take a minute to get to know each other listen to some music that you've both been making and just really really think about how you're how you can meet in the middle if you're really different how how can you find the beauty in your differences and I think that yeah the main the main bit of advice is just having respect for the everyone else in the room and understanding that you've been put in with them for a reason can you walk us through your songwriting process step by step yeah um I mean it's always slightly different but my go-to technique is to to jam on the mic um, I have a like an SM7B is is my favorite mic to use, which is you're using one right now, aren't you? Um, yeah, yeah. The Shure SM7B is like my favorite mic, and it, it's so practical. You plug it in, you pass it around, and it's really good because it blocks out a lot of the. It, it's like really good for noise cancellation of background background noises. So you just sing into it you might give up for a second, pass it to your co-writer, they'll sing into it for a bit. And then you just listen back to everything you've just recorded. 90% of it will be a load of rubbish. And then you'll just find those little earworms where you go highlight that, delete the rest. And then you like move it around and be like, actually, that's a better verse. Even though I sang it over the chorus, that works as a, as a verse. So let's try again and write a chorus press record again, get get the mic and just just keep going until you've locked in a verse melody, a pre-melody and a chorus melody. And once the melodies are in, I then put the lyrics to it. That's my that's my go-to way of writing, but every now and again it will be slightly different. Like you might not even have the chance to pick up the mic and record because you might get the melody immediately and just say, I've got the melody and you record it into your vo- into your voice notes on your phone just so you don't forget it. What are the different ways that you find inspiration with your lyrics? Are there certain activities or habits that you have to fuel your creativity when it comes to lyrics? I usually just take notes down in my phone as and when I think of a concept idea. I might be on on the tube or on a line bike. It's usually when I'm traveling and I'm on my own. Um, and I'll just, I'll just think of something and I'll be like, that's cool. That could make a really good concept. There's so much you could say about that, whether that be just a title idea or like a whole sentence. And I'll just, I literally have like tons of notes and I'll just, they'll all be called idea or I'll have ideas and I'll write lows in one note. It just, it, it's a bit, it gets a bit chaotic sometimes because you type in, you search idea into your notes and you've got like a million and you're like, Oh my God, this is overwhelming. But, um, yeah, I just, that's what I usually do lyrically. I come up with the concepts before I've even got into the studio. And then when I'm in there and the melodies are all written, I'll sift through a bunch of notes and something will stand out that day. And But a lot of the time as well with lyrics, when I'm jamming into the microphone, I never just say la, 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 la. I always act as if I'm speaking but it sounds like I'm singing in another language because none of them are really well not say none of them a lot of it won't even be a real word but then a lot of it will will be real words you'll end up singing the word sunshine by accident um and then you'll be like oh that 
that sounds really cool there. Let's stick with sunshine and then we'll write a concept around that. So yeah, it's one way or the other for me. They're the, they're my like two ways of writing lyrics. Very interesting. Are there any non-musical habits that say outside the studio that, that help your creativity? Yeah. Um, I really, really try and have my downtime and like spend time with my friends because I found myself, especially this summer, I've been really busy, a lot of traveling. I did a little tour in America and I've been doing a season out in Ibiza. So I've been back and forth. And when I'm home, I really try and make time for my friends and sitting down and talking to them about their their lives that are so different to mine. Because I've got obviously a lot of friends in music, but a lot of friends out of music as well. And I, I just love hearing about what they're up to because it's just a completely different world to me. Um and like some of my best friends have like had babies. Some of them are like changing careers because they're not happy. And just, I just really like to just sit and catch up. And then that will then inspire things to write about. Like sometimes I'll live through other people's experiences and situations. Um, or like my friend might be going through a hard time with a lover and I'll, then get inspired by that and I'll go and write about it. And then I'll send it to them and be like, look, I wrote a song about your situation. Um, so yeah, just, I think talking to people, being alone a lot, I don't find inspiring because when you are just at home with your own thoughts and like resting, I don't feel like, I think the more I rest, the less inspired I get. So I have to keep active and keep, keep busy and keep sociable. How do you maintain a healthy lifestyle I mean, uh, while you're so busy I'm really good at listening to my body so as tempting as it is you're out in Ibiza you've just played a set you've got friends there or other DJs turn up and everyone's just like sending it there's like the tequila's out everyone's just getting on it and you're like as tempting as it is to like stick around <laughs> have fun with all these incredible people if I'm exhausted I will have to just sacrifice that fun and say, I'm really sorry, guys, but I need to go back to my hotel and sleep. There was one night I was in bed in Ibiza by 9.30 p.m., which is so ridiculous because I've got this, like, amazing, exciting lifestyle. Um, And, like, I'm out in Ibiza getting paid to be out there. I've played a really cool set. The vibes are perfect, but... Yeah, there was that one time I just, I was like, I was exhausted. It was, um, I came, I I just come off tour in America. I'd landed in Heathrow at like 9am, was on a flight to Ibiza by 11pm. So like a couple of hours at the airport, then straight to Ibiza, obviously completely different time zone, completely jet lagged, just come off like a 12 hour flight and yeah, and flew to Ibiza, got there, sang. It was a daytime set. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, I was so tired. I was asleep by nine. But, yeah, I think you just have to, you really just have to listen to your body. Your body knows what it wants, whether it needs to just sleep for two days or or if you can, like, go out and have some fun. I'm really good at balancing it. Have you always been that way? Because I think that's a real strength to be able to do that and to not get swayed. Yeah, I've always been that way since since I used to go out when I was like 
using other people's IDs to get into clubs. Um, I could never do like loads of nights in a row. I'd just like, I don't know, I'd do like one big house party or one big night out and some friends would then go out and do it again the next day. Or if I did do two days in a row, I would be done for like, I'd be done in. I think I'm just, I don't know, I just, I like to be wholesome. I really enjoy partying and raving. Like I've, I've always done it, but I like to balance it with being wholesome. I really enjoy eating nice, healthy foods and like doing yoga and going on nice long walks and just, yeah, or spending time with family. Yeah, I, I just, it's, I guess it's a gift just to be wholesome. <laughs> it's a kind of work ethic, isn't it? It's something that people, again, don't realise because you're out at parties. They just assume that you're also partying. But to be able to perform to large crowds and to really perform at a high level, you've really got to be on the ball. You know, it's almost like being an elite athlete. Yeah, exactly. And if you if you get so embedded into the culture that you're using your gigs to rave yourself every night then you literally do just get exhausted and then you might not perform at your best ability and it's just I find that the if I party too much that I get quite anxious my anxiety will be triggered by like lack of sleep and or like drinking too much and so I just yeah over the years I've just I've just been good at knowing that I can't I I can't and shouldn't do that otherwise I won't I won't be on form what are some of the key strategies that you've employed to build up your brand and establish yourself in the industry I just I think keeping things really consistent is important and not uh like building my brand my brand is very much I am a, a solo artist as much as I collaborate and feature on people's songs I've always been really felt really strongly about not just featuring on other people's songs and if you do too many features in a space in one short space of time and you don't have a solo record out then you look you you can lose some of your independence as an artist so one thing I've really tried to stay consistent with is like balancing the amount of collabs I do with solo music and really stick into that because I don't ever want to lose doing the solo stuff so there's that there's 50% collabs 50% solo music there's also like trying to keep my I'm really big on like fashion and styling I love piecing together outfits and um and the visual side of things to be like very me and like really cool and to like also fit with my music so I come up with all the ideas and the visual aspects of like all my music videos and like all of my visualizers, I will, I create the the Pinterest boards. I know exactly what I want. And then I'll send it to the director and I'll be like, can you bring this to life for me? And that's why I've ended up working with the same director for, for the last few things that I've done because he's captured it really well. I literally have the pictures in my mind and then someone will help me put it bring it to life so yeah just knowing what you want visually is is really important knowing how to style yourself whether you've got a stylist helping you or you've got to do it yourself um just trying to keep it all consistent really and just if you know what you want then just stick to it and then people start remembering you for like 
having pink hair or you'll get remembered because you always wear something sparkly or do you know what I mean just like little things that you can just add to your toolkit that you're like that's me as an artist and I want to be recognized for like these little things I've definitely made mistakes I've had some complete outfit outfit malfunctions or just like what how was I wearing what was I thinking when I was creating like home videos like trying to make make music videos at home and or just being like that's that really didn't come across how I wanted it to come across or whatever um it's not all been great but you learn from your mistakes um stylistically I always um like my best friend's really stylish and we have exactly the same taste so like if I've ever been stuck I'll literally just be like okay I need you to come shopping with me and we need to go and find something for this. I've got this really important event or this important music video and there's no budget and I can't, there's no one to like, I can't employ someone to style me and I'm lost. I've like reached a dead end. Then I'll go shopping with my friend or, do you know what I mean? It's just like having a couple of people that you trust that aren't even in the industry. Um, you just trust that their eye and their vision as well. My ex-boyfriend was a video maker so he would help me a lot with with putting music videos together just some kind of visualizer because I always believe that having a visualizer will help elevate the music itself so yeah I just guess you're just having good people around me that want to put the time and effort in as well to like I've had a lot of help and I'm really grateful for that. Have you approached finding commercial success but still balancing that with your own artistic vision is that something you even think about finding commercial success or are you just focused on your your own artistry I definitely focus on my own artistry and I listen to my own opinions more than I do anyone else's even though I'm with a major record label they might feel strongly about putting one's a certain song out but I'll feel really strongly about putting a different one out and usually that I'm good at I'm good at getting my own way because because I just know what I'm doing and I've been doing it for a long time. And one thing I'm really grateful about RCA and Sony and my whole team there is that they really do trust my vision and my management as well. Very much have the same taste and opinions as I do. So RCA are really good at like kind of letting us lead the way. Like I do feel like we're in the driver's seat, which is so important because if you're, I do think if you're a true artist, you will, um, obviously in in a polite way like don't be rude about it and don't throw your toys out of the pram but just like I think uh I think it's just important to believe in your own vision and and to lead with that but obviously there's something to be said for major labels know what they're doing um and they might have a really good so I've ha- I've been swayed before my opinion's been swayed like I'll believe in one thing they'll believe in another and then they'll give me their reasoning and they'll say we think the timing of this is better because of this I'll then say yeah to be fair you're right I didn't think of it like that and it's just about respecting each other's opinions and then and doing what's best for the song so having your own artistic vision and also being open to other factors other forces and other people around you right that you trust yeah you've got to be open yeah even though it's your life and your career and your it's your face on everything and your name on everything 
you're building a team around you of people who also know what they're doing. So you have to be a little bit selfless sometimes and understand that everyone has the best intention for the project. And there will be a lot of opinions floating around, but usually you'll find that kind of um, unanimous decision that you end up going with. And yeah, just trusting the people you work with. Are there any mistakes or maybe cringe moments that you've had that you look back on and you're now grateful for that you've uh, because you learned a lesson from um oh god so i only i've only been djing for a year and a half like some djing something i picked up much later and uh this came the opportunity came about when i got offered a gig because i was doing some radio mixes like home mixes and one of them got to Mr. Jam at Capital Dance and he's always been, he's always championed me in my solo career. And I just love him so much for what he's done for me in my career. And yeah, he felt he got his hands on this mix that I'd done. And so he was like, oh, Camden's DJing now professionally. So he then like sent an offer through like to for me to play at the Capital Weekender with Diplo, James Hype and Mr. Jam. Um, and he was like, would like Camden on the lineup in like, literally it was weeks away. And I, as I said, I knew the very, very basics of DJing, but I didn't know how to like, I didn't know how to use record box. Um, I didn't know how to like get the music on from my USB onto the decks. Like, I don't know. I just, so then this opportunity came about and my manager said yes to it before she even asked me because she was like, this is what you need to do. So she said yes to Mr. Jam, then called me and was like, you're playing you're playing with Diplo and Mr. Jam and James Hype in, in, in a month. And I was like, what? And she was like, and you're DJing. And I was like, <laughs> literally was like, I didn't know whether to cry or laugh. I was so excited. And I was like, this is huge. So I literally cleared my diary, like cleared my diary. And I got straight in there with Pioneer. I was learning in the defected basement. The guys at Defected helped helped me put everything together. One of my best mates is Ben Malone. He's a Kiss FM DJ. Um, he, I literally was getting lessons, paying for lessons from Pioneer, getting free lessons from my mates like Ben and the and then like Defected were then letting me use the decks in their basement. And this is just again from years of building up like contacts and a team I was so fortunate and so lucky to have that around me and all this all this support around me I already had the platform so I just was like it's now or never and I literally perfected DJing in that short space of time because I had to I, I really work well under pressure I really work well under pressure and I know that some people weren't quite some people weren't impressed by that some people were like Oh, that's, that's bullshit. It took me years to to DJ and like perfect DJing, and, and it took me years to get good gigs. And I know that, yeah, I, there was mixed opinions about me doing it because people saw me as a singer and they were like, "What? She's just going to start DJing now?" And it was like, no, I actually have always known how to do it. I just, I'm a technophobe, so I didn't know how. To, I didn't want to like, I, I was too scared to actually do it. Do it. But like messing around at like house parties on the decks is like something I've always found quite natural, but I've just not had the, the confidence to do it. So um, 
yeah, I just, I just did it and I had to put other people's opinions aside and not let it phase me. And now, and now I'm DJing all the time and it's just the best thing I ever did. And I'm grateful to Capital Dance and Mr. Jam for kicking me up the arse and making me do it. And, and then I've had gigs ever since. So yeah, it's, it's been an exciting journey. How was the gig then? What happened at the gig? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. So you asked me what my cringe moment was. And I just went off on an absolute tangent. But my second ever gig was after the Capital one. The Capital one went perfectly because I practiced it. And like, obviously, you don't normally practice your sets as a DJ. You just kind of read the crowd. But I had to give my set list in weeks before. So it, it was, it didn't, it went really well because it had to go well. I, and I knew exactly what I was doing. But the second gig, I got a bit conf, a bit cocky and was like, I know what I'm doing now. I'm a DJ now. Like, look at this amazing gig I've just done. And my second gig was with Spotify and DJ Mag. And I was like, I mean, talk about being thrown in at the deep end. My second ever gig. It was literally just a free a free gig. It was a live stream in at Miami Music Week. And uh, yeah, through my management, they managed to get me on the lineup. And didn't plan my set I was like I know what I'm doing now don't need to plan it don't need to prep anything and I was it was all live streamed you can find it on YouTube it's the worst thing um I pressed Q on the same deck that was playing oh and it's an it's a classic it's an age-old classic of like how you can go wrong in DJing um so yeah I just start I just mixed into a Fred again tune and everyone was absolutely loving it the crowd were, that I had in, in the room were like buzzing because Fred again's like was just coming, like he was having a real moment and this song was like in the charts. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to play a crowd pleaser. And it was literally like 30 seconds in, everyone was just getting into it. And then I stopped it and everything went completely quiet because I'd loaded up the next tune and pressed Q pressed on it. And it's just, just, I'm just an idiot. And everything went quiet and I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I'd, I'd actually my mind went blank and I was like, how do I even resolve this? What did I just do? And it was like, I had to just quickly go through everything I'd been learning. And I was like, okay, diagnose the issue. That's what I've done. And then I just, instead of pressing play back on Fred again and letting it continue, I just went into the next tune that I'd reloaded. And I, and I, that was an, definitely a mistake. I should have gone back to Fred again, but I just was like, okay, I've moved on now. Next song. And it was like, yeah, so, so embarrassing. I went bright red and and it's all it's all on YouTube, which I hate because it was a live stream and all my friends and family were watching back home. And yeah, DJ Mag as well. DJ Mag, how embarrassing. That's happened to every single DJ I know. Yeah, it's, it is horrendous. And it's fine when you're in a club and everyone's hammered. It's like, whatever, some people won't even notice or they'll just scream and cheer when the song come back, comes back on and it's like, you're immediately forgiven. But when you're doing a daytime gig that's live streamed on YouTube for the big, for the DJ magazine and Spotify, which is like, they like own this industry. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I couldn't have picked a worse time to do it. And I think because it was just, so shocking and so um embarrassing for me and like I literally wanted the ground to swallow me up I have never done that since because it was just such a a big a big mistake um but such an easy mistake like 
we like every DJ's done it. You're right. It's like so easy to do, but I think because I was so mortified because of the situation, I just haven't done it since. So I've learned from that. Every, almost every gig, they'll I'll make a mistake. I think most a lot of people do, um, but I'll, then I'll never usually I'll usually never make that mistake again. <laughs> How do you ensure the longevity of your music career? Longevity for me, I think, is just making sure that you are consistently releasing because a lot of artists just write for ages and they and they think that oh because I'm writing I'm in the studio I'm doing my my job but it's not the case unless you're actually getting that music out then there's no point because it's just going to sit on your hard drive I do understand that sometimes it takes a while to like come up with a plan plot put it all together but we all get a little bit comfortable I've I'm guilty of it as well I've gone huge periods of time without releasing something but then I realized it's so much harder to then come back after you've like had a bit a bit of a busy release schedule then you go quiet for ages then you come back it's harder so I think for longevity is just to to keep plugging plugging the songs that you're writing um if you can't release officially because you haven't found the right label for you or you haven't got the the means to do it independently then there's always ways of staying active, which whether that's through social media, singing covers, or like posting little teasers of things that you're working on, just being really active and just staying on everyone's radar. I think that really helps with longevity. Also, yeah, the consistency in what you're doing, like not, like don't release a ballad one minute and then release a house tune and say that you're a house artist. I think, stick to your genre believe in your genre obviously you can deviate a little bit like lady love is very different to gold but it's it could still be played in the same dj set so just just trying to keep your music a little bit consistent or as as consistent as possible again helps with longevity because you look like you know what you're doing perception is everything um and also you want your fans to discover you from one song and go, oh, what else has she got? And then go and look on your Spotify and find another song that's similar because then they're like, wow, now I'm a real fan of this artist. Whereas if they go through your Spotify and they find a song completely different, then they might switch off and not not follow you and not continue to watch your journey. So I just think consistency and um, being active is is the main the main key to longevity. So it's actually, it's not just consistency of releasing, it's consistency of sound as well, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. What are the long-term goals that you're working towards? Goals I would like, would eventually like to do a UK tour because I've never done that. Um, I've I've been doing gigs in in Ibiza, which is so sick because I've always gone out to Ibiza every year anyway, but now to actually be playing is like what that was a huge goal of mine so the fact that I'm there now is like amazing and I don't ever want to lose that and I've even done a little US tour where I've supported really cool DJs so I'd like to be able to do my own UK one and I would also like to eventually do an album at the moment I don't think it's necessary for me to do an album I think I just want to keep plugging out the singles because singles is definitely where it's at but then when you've 
truly found your place and you've got your really loyal fan base, then I think it's time to put an album out. I think I think there's something to be said about being patient to do an album because some people get impatient and they want to do it immediately. But it's like, I would rather have the numbers and the fan base to make my album be so appreciated when it drops. And I do believe that one day I will do one. So that that is a, a definite a definite goal. I'm sure I'm not alone in saying I'd be very excited to hear that. The music industry is full of challenges. Can you tell me about a time that you've encountered a significant obstacle and how you overcame it? As I've always been a singer, obviously my voice is my my main tool and I need it for songwriting as well. At one one point in my career, a good few years ago now, I got a cyst on my vocal fold and I wasn't allowed to sing and I had to be operated on. It was a nodule and like nodules are like a singer's worst nightmare. I was lucky that I only had one. Some people get several where your vocal cords are like covered in little cysts and it completely deteriorates your voice. I only had the one, but my voice changed so much. Like my range was completely different. I couldn't hit the, the high notes I could that I was able to hit before. And I knew there was a problem. And a lot of people around me were saying, it's in your head, it's in your head. You probably just need to warm up better. And yeah, I went and got it checked out by a specialist. They found this cyst and they were like, obviously for the longevity of your career, it's better to get it removed now. And then you have to take some time out of work um, and then you can get get back at it. But it's better to do it when your career's a little bit quieter. Obviously, the more time you spend on your career, the busier you're going to get. So at the time, I was I was busy, but I was like, if I wait two years, what if I'm even busier? What if I'm like huge? And I was just like, oh my God, it's now or never. So I got booked in, operated, got the cyst off, literally wasn't even allowed to speak for a month. So I went a month with literally using an app, like I was um, typing in what I wanted to say and then letting the app say it for me. I was like Stephen Hawking. And um, it was the most depressing time of my life. I lost all my social life, obviously. I lost my singing, my career for a little bit. And then I had to like teach myself how to sing again because it, it is literally like starting again. And um, even now I don't have the same abilities that I used to. I can't belt. Like belting is a, a technique in singing where you like sing from the diaphragm and you and it's like really powerful. I'm, I'm re- I really, really struggle with that now and I can't hit the high notes that I used to be able to hit. Um, but I found as much as that was really difficult and I lost so much confidence and I was under... Uh, control of my my voice I found a weird beauty in it eventually it took a while but then I was like this softer way of singing this like airy falsetto thing is actually working better for my genre and I think it's giving me a more unique tone than what I used to have so I just embraced the change in my in my singing abilities and it was, I hated my voice for a while. I was like, I, I like wouldn't, I didn't forgive my voice. And I was seeing a singing teacher and then she just gave me this sound advice and was like, you have no choice but to forgive your voice for letting you down. Because if you stay angry at it, you're never going to enjoy singing again. So forgive it 
and use what techniques you still have and and find the beauty in that then you can move forward from this and and I really listened to that and now yeah my voice never quite been the same but um but I love my voice again now I hated it for a, a few years but I love it again now so yeah that was the biggest obstacle ever and I overcame it so yeah that's such a good lesson to learn and what great advice from your singing teacher yeah exactly um and just the thing is it's another setback but just unless you have a plan b you just have to get over it and carry on and as i said i never had a plan b so just being patient with my health being patient with the the process trusting the process and it's worth it's all been worth it because now i'm having a great time very cool. So we're coming to the end of the conversation today. I'm so, so grateful for all of the time you spent with us. And even as a music producer, I found it really inspiring to talk to you as a singer and, a, and an artist and a songwriter. What top three tips can you give for our audience, for independent musicians? Okay, top three tips are really get your social media going. Like being, posting consistently, little snippets of your personality, little snippets of new music that you want to put out and like letting your followers kind of have an opinion. Like, for example, should I release this song or this song? And just interacting with your social media and being being as active as possible is so important in this. It's 2023 and it never used to be a thing, but it is now and you've just got to ride that wave. So it's hard to do it without all of that social media so there's that there's um get yourself out to music events and sh- mingle you have to meet people in this industry that's how you find your team that's how you find your collaborators that's how you find just other aspiring musicians and artists that can support you and you can support them and you just start to create a bit of a um a crew where you're like it's, it's really nice to be part of like a bit of a squad where you're like seen at each other's gigs, support, you're supporting them, they're supporting you. And um, yeah, just creating a bit of a team around you, whether they're part of your team or just mates in the industry and just having people to talk to and, and uh, confide in that are like-minded, just putting yourself out there. You've got to put yourself out there. And then third bit of advice is to um, spend as much time in the studio as possible with as many people as possible and just working with loads of different producers, finding the ones that you work best with and um, and keeping them on board and keeping them on your team. And then even if you end up like getting rid of all the other people that you work with and just working with one person because it's it's like a musical marriage you can create such incredible music with that person and then you've got a body of work and then you can send it to all the right people and it's just important to create a body of work so just find find your your main collaborators and just work with them and and get your music lined up and ready to go amazing very very good advice and so before we wrap up Camden can you share a valuable piece of advice or a mantra some words of wisdom that has guided you on your musical journey just honestly patience is what I tell everyone it's not going to happen overnight it takes 10,000 hours to be an overnight success 
and you'll come from absolutely nowhere to most people but little do they know you've been grafting at it for 10 years and I even got it with tattooed I can find it I got the word patience tattooed on my arm um just to remind myself like when things aren't going too well or or I've had a setback then it's just about trusting the process and I look down at my wrist and and see that patience was tattooed on there for a reason when I was feeling optimistic so yeah just be patient Camden Cox thank you so much for joining us here on the Open Door Talks podcast thanks for having me it's been great thank you so much for listening to Open Door Talks today if you enjoyed this episode please spread the love and share it with a friend we've also got a Spotify playlist featuring the music from the podcast so make sure you check that out and head to opendoortalks.com for more information and resources.